Here is Evangelist Greg Fritz ministering on Revival and Prayer, Part 2. Those who came to the school earnestly seeking to know more of God were greatly helped and went out from the school better prepared to teach and preach the Word of God. It was not a theological seminary, but a place where great essential truths of God were taught in the most practical manner to reach the sinner, the careless Christian, the backslider, and all in need of the gospel message. From this school went out many flaming evangelists who held meetings far and near, and God blessed them in a wonderful way. Some of them are still standing true to the cause and, the, and preaching the gospel. Uh, William J. Seymour became a regular attendant each day for the Bible lessons. And uh, he was given a place in the class and eagerly drank in the truths which are so new to him and food for his hungry soul. And, of course, you know the rest is history. Uh, while the students were studying the Bible, they, they did street meetings and, and uh, they filled appointments where there were calls for meeting. They visited sick and other practical Christian work. So anyway, it, uh, it's, it's quite, a, quite a, a, a lot of history around here because that preceded anything. Uh, there was no no real uh, widespread work of the Holy Ghost until that happened, and uh, some of it happened here. Isn't that great? Amen. So it's uh, something to, to to be thankful for. But I don't know about you. I can't be satisfied with just the the meetings of the past. And the reason that I'm reading these things and I'm going to take them into to school this next year because uh, part of what helped Azusa Street get traction and get going in the prayer part, because it always is preceded by prayer, was the fact that there was a revival in Wales going on and they would get reports and read them. And reading the reports of that revival stirred the hearts of the people for this one. And, and, and one of the things that happens when you start reading the reports of revival, whether it's in the book of Acts or anywhere else, is that your heart gets stirred and you go, God can do that again. God has to do that again. God needs to do that in my generation. And, uh, and there's a process that you pray through, that you walk through, that I've seen. And uh, they pray until they begin to prophesy. And then they prophesy until they begin to just get it. And then it's like they've just got it inside before they see it outside. Then they know it's just a matter of time, but we've got the move of God. And so uh, the time has come for that. I believe the time has come that, that the church would begin to pray and seek God for uh, great outpourings of His Spirit, for great moves of His Spirit. And, <clears throat> and what, what we see, and, and most theologians would agree, is that the church age is going to end much like it began. So if you read the book of Acts, and that's why Charles Parham called his movement the apostolic faith movement, because he said we're going back to the original uh, experience of the apostles in the book of Acts. They had healings and signs and wonders and miracles and tongues and gifts and they had salvations. They had all of that and he sees, saw the church and many others saw the church coming back to that before the return of the Lord. It's the early and the latter rain. The early rain would be, would be then and the latter rain is now. And so a latter rain is just more of what happened then. And in between, there are periodic rains, but it's nothing like the latter. The latter rain's the greatest of all. The latter rain's the one that, that pushes in the harvest, that really makes the fruit ready to harvest. And, and, and that's, I don't, 
I, I'm not trying to create anything here, but I'm telling you, I'm speaking things that I believe are stirring in your hearts already. And when you hear it, you go, yeah, I believe that. This is not all there is. We're not going to just get weaker and weaker until Jesus beams us up. The world's not just going to run over the church and, and, and strong arm the church until it's There's going to be a harvest of souls. And, and you say, well, is this the last generation? I don't know, but it's our last one. And, and if every generation can have a move of God, then I want this one to have it. And I get jealous when I read about some of the things that went on in generations past. And I think, hey, there's a whole millennial generation alive today that's seen very little of the power of God. And, and we need to make sure it doesn't stay that way. We need to do our part to, to, to allow God to move on this generation and shake them like he's shaken others. I think it's just it's just neat that George is here because he's been through so many uh, of the moves of God in our in our recent history with the full gospel businessmen and and Brother Hagen and all of those things that happened in those waves because those were waves. But thank God there's something more. We're in between right now. It's a it's a time of a, a lull. But 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 God has more in store for our generation. And if we'll get stirred up and take hold of God, uh, we can see him do what he's done before. Can you say amen to that? And so there's there's a timing issue which has really totally baffled me. Because the truth is, I was preaching this 25 years ago. When I began to travel, unbeknownst to me, God had set up for me. I went to a church in Colorado and I was supposed to be there for four days. And God began to move, and I was there for two weeks. The next church I went to, the following Sunday, I went to a church. I was supposed to be there one day and went on for three and a half more weeks. And for five and a half weeks, this is 25 years ago. This is 24 years ago, 1990. For five and a half weeks, I was in services, and we focused on revival. And, and I prayed. We had early prayer every day, and I preached every night. And God dealt with me about harvest. He dealt with me about the revival. He dealt with me about the end times. And he spoke to me, and he told me that he was wanting me to help prepare people for the harvest, prepare laborers for the harvest, invite my people, he said, to be a part of my harvest. And, uh, and, and so I did, and I began to preach revival, and I began to preach vision, and, and I had a sermon that I preached. I love to preach it because it's powerful, it'll still be powerful today, and uh, the sermon was revival. God's got it, the world needs it, the church wants it, and the devil can't stop it. Yeah. And I'd just go to town on that, but you preach that about three or four years, and you don't see it, and you add point number five. Where is it? <laughs> and and, and I, I had no idea that the things that God told me then would take 25 years, 30 years to come to pass. I had no idea that I would have to hold on to that that long. But, but it, it seems that this is the time now to, to reclaim that vision and that, and that calling and that, that unction and pray some things through. Push some things through. Believe God for some things. And so um, I'm going to just pull out the stops and we're going to have our school. If you want to go to Bible school, we invite you to come. You're welcome to come to Tulsa. There's no age limit and it doesn't matter if you've been to school before or not. 
uh, we need help praying. We need help. We need hungry hearts to come together with us and press in. And uh, and I just believe and I told Pastor Mark that, you know, I believe that we'll immediately see a difference. Your ministry will see a difference. My ministry will see a difference because prayer works. And we're going to envelop that church with prayer and our ministries with prayer and everything we're doing. Prayer has more influence the closer you get to you. Then the further out you go, the, the, the more you have to pray through on those things. Because there's a lot of other factors affecting other people. But when it comes to me and my, and my ministry and my church and my city, I have a lot of influence in the spirit. And so I believe we'll see immediate results, but then there are long-term results. As we pray, you know, if you're just praying anyway, you might as well pray for the whole world. Why limit it? God's big enough, and He said He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think, so I might as well think big, because He's bigger than that. So, so I'm going to pray for the whole world. As well as praying for immediate needs and immediate ministry. But uh, prayer can encompass things. And you can go places in prayer you couldn't even go physically. And uh, it's, it's time for that. Every move of God, every move of God was preceded by uh, seasons of prayer. And, in, and not necessarily long seasons, but seasons of prayer. Uh, Evan Roberts, who was spearheaded the well, revival in Wales in 1902, he, uh, he, he prayed uh, for, uh, I believe it was two years, two years intensely, and uh, that revival went around the world. And uh, uh, Frank Bartleman, he helped pray through the revival in Azusa Street, along with Seymour and others, but he prayed intensely for 15 months. So it doesn't have to be such a long-term thing. It, a lot of it is, is involved with timing. The Bible says times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And, and I, and I want to just take a minute and talk about this because I've been reading about it just this week. But, but times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. So does God do revival or do people do revival? It's yes. And, and, and there is a timing aspect involved. But if you look at history, God has always moved with these great massive outpourings of his power. And then even in Israel, if you read the history of Israel, which is a foreshadowing of the church, they'd, they'd get into sin and they'd get into trouble and they'd cry out to God and then he'd rescue them. And then they'd coast along a little while and they'd get into sin, they'd get into trouble, they'd cry out to God and then he'd rescue them. And it's a, it's a constant graph that goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And in, the, in recent history, it's been about 50 years. 50 years, God will do something, and then, the, then people start to coast and get complacent and get cold and get into sin and get, get in trouble, and then they cry out to God, and then He moves again. So I don't know why it has to be that way, but it has been that way. That doesn't mean that an individual has to do that, but just as a whole, society as a whole, the church as a whole has gone through these ups and downs, and we're in a down not this church specifically, but overall we're in a down period. And, and so because of that, once it's time for that season to change, there's got to be a group of praying people. 
praying and revival praying is not forcing God to do something he doesn't want to do. I know people, and there's a lot of controversy surrounding this whole subject, and I think these things need to be cleared up, at least in our minds. There are people that have just completely stopped praying for revival because they just know, they just say, God's always on. I mean, there is no problem with God. There's no need to pray and ask God. He already wants to do it. No need to ask Him for souls. He wants to save souls. Well, there's a lot of things He wants to do that He doesn't do and He can't do. Because he recognizes boundaries. So prayer doesn't boss God around or try to convince God to do something he doesn't want to do. You wouldn't have a desire, a good godly desire, if it wasn't God that put it there. You wouldn't know what to want if God didn't put it there. So the desire itself comes from God, but prayer is what gets us involved. Prayer is what includes us. This isn't just a spectator sport. We're, we're, we are cooperating with God. We are participants with Him. It goes through us, in a way, in prayer. So the desire itself, I believe, came from God to begin with. And it forms the blueprint of exactly what it is God wants to do. And I can tell you that, that, it, that it's that way for me for sure. I was just going along loving God and preaching and praying and having a good time in the Spirit. And somehow, somewhere along the way, without my knowledge, God dropped in me the desire for revival. I don't know where it came from, but I can't get rid of it. It is so strong in me, I can't watch the news, I can't look at society, I can't see a problem without thinking, I know the cure for that. And it's not an election. It's not change Washington. It's not the public school systems need to get their act together. It's not a government situation. It, it's revival. You change the hearts of people. You change them from the inside out. It's a visitation of the Spirit of God and the presence of God and the power of God. That's what will change society. And, 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 and even beyond that, I don't even care about society. I want to get people saved and I want to go to heaven. I want their God to get a harvest out of my generation. So, so prayer is, is, is part of the process. So I like to explain it this way. God gives the desire to the church. And it's up to the church then to pray that back to God. You, you take those desires and turn them into effectual, fervent prayers back to God. And then God answers that prayer that he started in our hearts. He answers. So it starts with God and it ends with God, but it comes through us. Now, if we don't do our part, it short circuits the, pro the process. But if we do our part, God puts us right in the middle of things in prayer. We pray it out. It comes through us. It goes back to him and then he answers and he gets the glory. But we're not left behind. We're right in the middle of this. We're partners with God. Prayer is, a, is, is the highest privilege. It's the highest honor to go to God with the, the world in your heart, to go to God with vision and desire for other people. What a privilege it is to be able to enter into such a, a, an occupation. Amen. Amen. 
and, and to be drawn into that by the Holy Spirit so that you can change destinies and change lives and change cities from your bedroom, from your prayer closet. What a powerful way to touch the world. And yet prayer is the most uh, overlooked part of, uh, of, of, of the Christian life because there's no natural motivation to pray. There's no natural reward when you pray. There's no recognition when you pray. You don't get paid to pray. You don't, you, people don't applaud when you walk by because you spent two hours praying. In fact, they don't care. It, and that's what demotivates so many folks is that if you get up at four o'clock in the morning and put your face in your pillow and pray to God for three hours and then get up and go to work, nobody cares. Or if you stay there and sleep till the last possible minute and jump in the shower and run to work, nobody cares. So there's no real uh, instant effects that are felt by the life of prayer. But it's one of the most valuable things we could ever do. You'd get more recognition for vacuuming this carpet than you would for praying for souls and praying for a move of God. And, and there's nothing wrong with vacuuming the carpet. I'm just telling you that there's no natural motivation for anybody to pray. Therefore, it gets overlooked. It gets pushed to the side. Stay tuned for part three.